today's episode, we're going to talk about how to tell lies and catch liars, to keep it simple. Basically, ways to tell stories about who you are and make it effective, as well as determining whether or not somebody's telling the truth about who they are or giving you the facts, how to detect that deception and how to portray the deception. This is relatively easy, something that just takes a little bit of practice and probably only a little bit of research if you do it correctly. But there is a right way to be deceptive and to essentially tell a lie, especially about who you are, as well as a more efficient way to find out if somebody else is telling you the truth. So how to make up who we are and how to determine if somebody else is making up who they are. That's what we're going to talk about. Lies and liars right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. The best lies are mostly true, not mostly made up. In fact, they're very close to the truth with only a few things changed and sometimes switched around. There's one organization that uses a teaching method or rule of thumb of being off by five degrees. To put that in context, if you were using a compass and walking a land navigation course, if you were off by one degree, and this is a course in a vacuum on paper, after 100 meters, you're only off by about five feet. After a mile, you're only off by about 92, 93 feet. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, except for most people aren't off by one degree. They're off by quite a bit more. So five degrees could put you off almost 500 feet. If you're one degree off and you flew around the earth, you'd be off by 500 miles. So five degrees can have a much larger representation the longer things go. While one degree off on a land navigation course with a compass doesn't seem like a bad idea, what if you were following a compass and you were in a car and you had to drive 50 miles? One degree can make a huge difference. The thing is, you're probably going to be off more than one degree. I did an experiment once, kind of a teaching tool, where we were in an open flat field and we were given a compass and a distance and direction. When we got to our location, they'd use a GPS to show us how far off we were. One of the things that kind of highlighted for us was one of the things I teach when I work with people with compasses is about you have a natural drift. You'll tend to only carry the compass more in one hand or the other, depending on how you hold the compass. And we were actually trying our best, consciously thinking about staying on target, whereas you do a long land nav course, you want to do that, but there's so many other things going on, including exhaustion, that they affect your ability to do that. And you'd find yourself, especially in real situations, if you went for a target on a land navigation course, it was a few thousand meters out, you could be off by several degrees and there's methods and things to help correct this. So while on paper, you're only off a little bit in practice, you're probably going to be off farther. That's your benefit when you're making up a story. It should be mostly true. It shouldn't be more than five degrees off. Now that five degrees is the lie or the story that you prepare. The best thing you can do is switch up facts Use known information, but change it up a little bit. Example is, when I was interrogating, we would often get asked questions by the detainees. And a lot of times, if you just tried to turn it back to them and say, look, we're here to talk about you, not talk about me, that would get us nowhere. Part of building reports, we'd have to talk about ourselves. But the rule of thumb was, of course, you don't talk about yourself. So you'd have somewhat of a prepared story. At the time I was interrogating, I had recently got divorced. So a simple five-degree lie was to say I was married. My ex-wife grew up in a different part of the country than I did, so I would basically just switch up locations. She grew up in the Northwest, and I had grown up somewhere else. I knew enough about her after being married for nine years. 
I knew where she went to school, the churches she went to, popular places in the town. It was very easy for me. And it was a simple thing that probably wasn't going to be checked up on, especially by a detainee, which could work just as well with anybody else. And it takes little effort. It just takes little lies like that, little deceptions. What's great about those small deceptions is you're already familiar with them. You've just made a small switch using, in this case, which person is identified to which location. That location has a backstory over probably 20 or more years. But if you know everything about that person, then it's easy to do. Or if you know about that location, it could have been just as simple as saying, I grew up in this part of the country, but I lived in this other part of the country for five, 10 years. I knew people that had kids. I knew where they went to school. I knew enough about the area that I would switch it up and I could just say that the area I'd lived in is actually where I grew up. And the area I grew up in, I actually only lived there for five years. It's very little switches like that that help you maintain that story. The other thing is, more than likely, they're subjects you've talked about in conversation or for whatever purpose. Because as much as you can think and plan in your head how to have a conversation and perhaps anticipate questions, when it comes to actually verbalizing them, you can have difficulty doing it. One of the things people do when they're deceptive, and doing this doesn't mean they're deceptive, it's just if you follow a lot of steps for detecting deception and asking the right questions, one of the signs you may see is they over-enunciate certain things they're not completely familiar with. So if you grew up in Seattle, but you lived in Bozeman, Montana, and you switch that up that you grew up in Bozeman and you lived in Seattle, if you haven't ever used the word Seattle much, or let's say you picked another town like Portland, and you hadn't lived there, but you were familiar enough because you were from Seattle, but you never really said that word a lot, especially in that context, you may over-enunciate it. Well, I grew up in Portland. There could be pauses. There could be over-enunciation of syllables. While people do that a lot for different reasons, it's just one thing to look for when trying to tear apart a story, and it's an easy thing to prepare for to make sure somebody can't go after your story. It's a very common subconscious trait that people pick up on. This goes back to like when I talked about IX's queuing. While it can be used in conjunction with other techniques to possibly detect deception, by itself it doesn't tell you nothing about deception. It tells you about how people's brains are processing information, whether or not they're having internal dialogue, whether or not they're constructing something, recalling something, whether or not there's an emotional or physical aspect to it, and how their brain is processing that, why. Used in conjunction with their storytelling or their answers to questions, their reactions, when their other body language, while you're asking them questions, it can assist you in, of course, detecting deception. But by itself, it's not really good for that. And people that teach that should probably be shot because that's just a horrible idea. The other thing is going back to this story, let's say you are from Seattle, but you're going to use Portland. You've traveled down there and they're familiar with it. One of the things to think about is at least when you're in the business, but this is the way to look at it. If you're going to tell a story, let's say you're going to do this and you're just going to toy with somebody to practice. You want to think about what are logical questions people would ask. And if you have the training or knowledge or whatever training or knowledge you have, you want to assume that they have it too. There are assumptions you make in the business in order to keep yourself safe as a precaution. So if they have the training you have, what questions would they ask? What questions would you ask? It'd be logical conversation questions and how many layers deep how many follow-up questions to these would they know or would they ask? And then what information do you have to provide? So you have to research that information. So if you're going to pick Portland and you know a lot about Portland, the politics, fun things to do there, stuff that's going on, but what about living there? 
do you know which suburb you lived in or which small town, which area of town, what schools? If you are claiming a certain type of business, where's that business located? What's it like driving there? Because what if you run into somebody who has some familiar with Portland? They may not be from Portland, but maybe they know somebody from Portland. And what are common conversations people have about their everyday life? Where they went to school, where their job is, what's traffic like? You have to cover all these basic ideas to make sure you have some simple answers to their questions. The reason why this is important is people that are familiar with things and understand things, especially being truthful or have very well-prepared stories, are going to very simply and smoothly answer questions that are very common, very conversational, very normal to have before you get going too deep. This is why you have to prepare and practice answering these questions. A person that is familiar with something and knows about where they grew up and what traffic's like and what their school was like and who the bully was and the changes and traffic lights and what stores went away and shown up, unless it's something that's 20 years old they don't remember from their childhood, if it's something relatively released in the last few years, they should be able to just answer that question unless there's a logical reason why. I'm not really familiar with traffic patterns or gridlock or any of that kind of stuff because I work from home and I hardly ever use that freeway when I do is only if I'm say going to the airport which happens rarely that would make sense it's just another area you may have to question or another area you might get asked a question so it's being familiar with it that's something they should be able to answer fairly simply sometimes when you're asking questions especially other ways we can ask questions you might get that kind of stunned response or that delay in answering a question a lot of people have delays in answering questions all the time, one to two seconds. When, when it's going longer than a couple of seconds, that's something to take notice of. Or more importantly, if it seems to be a logical set of questions you're asking about, a very common thing that at this point in the conversation, they should clearly know. If they have an established pattern of how long they delay before they answer the question, that by itself with other things don't show deception, a noticeable increase in that delay could be a possible sign of deception. That's why you want to have the prepared answers that you're familiar with in order to tell those stories. So when I mess with people and I tell stories, I prepare them ahead of time. Does this make sense? Would it make sense to them? I don't take something like talking about detecting deception and tell things that aren't true, like common misconceptions and play them out as true to somebody who doesn't know about it anyway. That doesn't make sense. And it also doesn't help develop the skill. I pick things that they're going to have some knowledge and understanding about. I prepare the story. I get other people involved if I need to. I have prepared answers to the questions, what are the logical things this person's going to do? And I practice on people I know because not only they know me and know that I do this, it helps enhance the skill in case I ever have to do it again for work or for my own safety in any situation. The thing is, when you try to determine whether or not these stories are true, you do what we would do in basically any questioning pattern in an interrogation or getting information from a source or a debriefing target is you need to have logical follow-up questions that go a little deeper every time. Just like when I talked about questioning plans, they look a lot like an outline for a paper. You know, where do you work? I work at Bob's Pizzeria. Oh, that's great. How long have you worked at Bob's Pizzeria? I've worked there for seven years. Oh, okay. What's your position in Bob's Pizzeria? I'm the dough guy. I make the dough and spin the dough or whatever that job's called. Oh, that's cool. Have you always had that position there? No, I started out as a dishwasher. Well, how long were you a dishwasher? Two years. So how long have you been a Pizza dough guy. The answer should be five. This is where we start looking for signs of deception. About five years. Okay, well, that's good. That doesn't have to be specifics. It's not a resume. It should be very general. Very common, simple answers to questions. Then you start going a little deeper. 
Well, what do you mean by making the dough? You just flip it in the air to make the circle or do you actually make the dough with the materials? No, I make the dough with the materials. Oh, really? How long does that take? What kind of flour do you use? You guys use standard white flour like we get? Is there something about that you can point me in the right direction to make it? How long does it take you to make it? And you start going a little deeper every time. It is possible eventually that you're going to reach on any series of questions. If you go deep enough, you're going to reach things people don't know. Maybe that guy doesn't know where they purchased those products from. He just knows they're there. That would make sense. But eventually you may go deep enough that there's questions they're not prepared for. So what is what would you call normal in questioning about a job? You have a job, somebody's asking you about their job, but they're interested. Think about being on a date. You go on a date, it's a first date, you're talking about each other's careers, you work at Bob's Pizza Place. They love pizza. They've always wanted to make their own pizza. They're really interested in your job and they love that pizza place. Great. They're going to show more interest. So if you look at it that way, how far would they go? What kind of questions would they ask? How deep would they go? And that's at least the minimum of how deep you should be prepared. If you're not prepared, you're going to do things or show signs of deception or you're going to see them in other people to figure out whether or not they're really telling you the truth. This is why I have a hard time going out on first dates and while I have some normal conversations, I try to get into other topics because people tend to be deceptive when they're trying to make a good impression, when they're meeting somebody, or if they're on a date, they don't want to be there, they're going to do the same thing. Very easy for me to see that, and it gets distracting, and I don't want to be like, oh, you're a fucking liar, because people tend to try to do that a little bit. I give them a little leeway there. But think about those types of questions. How deep would they go? The other thing, though, that you can do, and the questions you want to be prepared for, is not just what are the logical answers, what are the factual answers, what are the responses and thoughts people have about these answers and these questions, what are their emotional opinions or positions on them. So let's say you're telling a story about being divorced. You'll have a better chance at it if you were never married, but you know somebody was divorced, you know everything about them, and you can use that story as your own. You probably are going to know certain things, especially about how they think and feel about it. Because if you don't, and you have this story about getting divorced, I was married for this long, we lived here, we got divorced, here's why we got divorced, and I'm just saying these as these are answers to the questions as they're being asked. Court took this long, this was the custody arrangement, and then they say, well, how, how did you feel about getting divorced when you were presented with it? That's a question somebody should be able to answer who's in that situation. Most people that prepare stories or prepare information to tell lies only focus on the facts and not the responses a person would reasonably have. And that might cause that delay in the answer. They may have shown a consistent pattern of answering simple questions very easily, not really showing too many signs of deception. Then you hit them with that question about how they thought about it, what they thought, how they felt about it. Then you might get that delay there. Then you might get them over enunciating certain words. Then you might start getting rapid eye movements where they are starting to construct things and things aren't making sense. And you might start to see contradictions. You might see that body language. They're trying to protect themselves. You might see that body language where they're trying to get away, pointing their knees and feet or looking in other directions and trying to get out of there. You might see that abrupt change in the conversation. They don't want to be there anymore. And that's probably a good sign that you've hit the realm of deception. Whether it was just that question, that piece of the story, or whether it was the whole story. The other thing you can do is look at this story. They have something that's typically going to be big in their life and how where they're at in life now has changed. So you wanted to be married. You wanted to have kids. They tell this story. You know, I, I have these kids. My kids are great. 
I was married for five years. I got divorced, but my whole goal in life was to be married, have a family, have the white picket fence. But all they tell is you got divorced, then you can drop back to, or you can go deeper into, especially the emotional response of why did you want to get married? Why did you have a family? Have them tell you all these great stories and things that are great about their family and experiences and fun they have. And then you drop way back to that one question they didn't detail on or that one statement. You say, well, why did you get divorced? Or you say, how did you feel about the divorce? Because now if they've given you all these positives and you turn it into a negative, something they kind of glossed over, they should have that response. It's a lot easier to make up and portray positive feelings about something because they're positive. We like them. It's easier to associate them, but not as easy with negative things unless somebody's lived an entirely emotional negative life. So it's a lot easier to go that route, but you should still go for the positive feelings too, especially if they're portraying a lot of negative ones. Doesn't mean that that's always going to work, but those are things you can look for in a story. So by keeping it mostly true, we've stuck with things we know and understand. The five degrees or 5% up to that amount that we've chosen to falsify is actually known information we've just switched around. We try to do that the best we can. Avoid as much as possible going to areas that you don't know anything about, whether they're connected to you or not, because it's a lot easier to exploit those and determine something in here is deceptive, something in here is a lie, something in here is not true, and then it can make you look as a liar in general. Then you want to make sure that you understand what are the logical questions. That's why I always use dating. You go on a date. This is a story. Somebody's really interested in that. They're going to take more interest and ask more questions than a regular person. Fine. What do you think those questions would be? What would they be if it was you? What would you ask and how deep would you go? Be prepared for those answers. Make sure that you verbalize it, practice it, rehearse it almost like a speech for anything you need to so that you've not only researched those answers, but you've at least thought it through really well and maybe talked it through a little bit to yourself in the mirror, whatever you got to do. I, I do that sometimes. I mentally prepare for conversations and I think about Here's the different ways it could go. If they say this, I'll say this. If I say this and they respond this way, I'll do this. I still do it today for any important conversation. I do it to prepare to go see a doctor. That way I'm more prepared to have the conversation. I have more answers prepared. I can get the information out there I need. And this is, to be completely honest, seeing a medical professional, this isn't even about being deceptive. And sometimes if I'm doing it long enough and thinking of it through while I'm walking through my house or cleaning stuff, I'll actually figure out I've started talking I've actually started verbalizing it, even mumbling it a little bit. And it probably helps me get used to saying it. Definitely helps, though, when it's something you're not used to saying. So even if you have all this prepared stuff, what statements of phrases have you not said in that context so that they you can practice them so that they don't go noticed? And then you got to think about whether you're trying to determine if somebody's telling a lie about a story or why you're trying to have a prepared story. What are the logical, emotional things I would be asked about how I think or how I feel about this and what would the realistic responses be and how do they tie back into those facts? Then from there, how do they affect future changes in my life? You know, how many people you know went to college and studied something and they never did that in their life, they ended up doing something else? They probably have a story about why that happened, what the changes were, whether it's short or long. But if it's a prepared story, one of the things that would make sense is you wanted to do this, you went to school to study this, that was your dream. You didn't get the job. You get this other job. There's where you're at now. You're, how did you feel about not ever getting that job? What was your thought process on it? What did you think when you were told you were never going to work in that career field and then you had to go work over here? 
Those are questions people should logically be able to answer, but they're not questions people tend to prepare for when they're being deceptive and lying. And then always be prepared for not only that kind of question, but things getting backtracked to areas that they have mentioned that need followed up on. Just like when we were doing an interrogation, if I was doing an interrogation on somebody and for whatever reason I was collecting information on their family and they told me that whole story about their family, I'm writing down everything about their family. Here's their kids. Here's their wives. Here's when they were born. Here's what they love. Here's what they like. Here's the fun times they had. Here's the trips they took. All this good information. But they did mention in there that they got divorced, but they're reliving all these positive feelings. Eventually, I'm going to go back to that divorce and chase it down. I want all the information there too. Why did you get divorced? When did you get divorced? What led up to that? What were the negative things involved? What were the positive benefits? That's a whole nother separate category. And if you look at it that way and realize somebody is going to do that, and they might just do it naturally, it doesn't mean they're looking for any information. They should have, you should have a prepared answer, or they, they should have an answer if you ask them. So this is why I say lying isn't hard. Having prepared stories isn't hard. It actually doesn't take a whole lot once you do it a few times. But it's difficult in the sense that you have to go through the steps and actually prepare and practice this. And you can see that there's a lot of nuances to it, especially when it comes to people asking you questions that you have to prepare for. What makes it difficult is have you properly anticipated what kind of things you'd be asked about your fake story? Have you properly anticipated the possibility of questions you may need to ask about a fake story? And you got to look at them both at the same time, whether you're trying to bust a story or trying not to get busted. As a reminder, I have a link in the show notes for those who are coming in here later on for the recent live show that I did on 21 February. I'm going to be doing a monthly live Q&A for all the listeners out there that follow either the social media, the YouTube channel, or this podcast. So you can ask me further questions on anything in the gray man concept, hiding in plain sight, anything remotely related to that, as well as any recent podcast shows or discussions that we've had. Check out the show notes for ways to contact me via email to ask questions, recommended social media and podcasts that I enjoy. I think you'll like too. And I will be back again here shortly with more information right here on gray man hiding in plain sight.